podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to a special celebratory podcast from Anfield Index Pro. I'm Trev Downey, and The King at 70 will be a tribute to Kenny Dalglish, featuring many voices, including that of your host, explaining what the Liverpool legend means to them. Later, you'll hear from Kenny's son Paul, ex-teammate Jan Mulby, journalists Jonathan Northcroft and James Pearce, as well as Anfield Index alumni Eddie Gibbs, Gags Tandon, Dave Hendrick and Jim Boardman, as each of them speak about the Glaswegian great whom the city of Liverpool have adopted as a favourite son. Before that list of loquacious lads, however, as I'm the one holding the mic, so to speak, I'll take the honour of speaking first about a man who, along with Muhammad Ali, is the only true hero I've ever had. As a wide-eyed five-year-old, I first saw Kenny's broad grin as he celebrated with Liverpool's second European Champions Cup. On that evening in 1978, the outrageously gifted number seven scored a deftly executed winner, which left a lifelong impression on me and forged a bond of loyalty to the club and the man that the distressing amount of intervening years have only strengthened. I genuinely cannot begin to estimate how many times I bullied my younger brother into playing the Sunes pass so I could sweep in like the great man and adroitly dink the ball over an advancing imaginary keeper before wheeling away in glee. As I grew, Kenny's legend grew at Liverpool, and when I was 12 and still collecting comics, my hero was a real-life Roy of the Rovers, winning the double in his first campaign as player-manager, before going on as boss to create what, for many of us, was the greatest red side of all. Kenny's dignity, humility and generosity of spirit during the twin tragedies of Heysel and Hillsborough were a source of great consolation to those who suffered most and an object lesson for a young man like me in how to carry yourself in difficult times. Having talent and success is one thing. Decency is another entirely. Even as a kid, I admired that about Kenny every bit as much. Now, before this becomes too mawkish and sentimental, I may have to interview the man soon, after all. Let me get out of the way of our contributors and leave you with this. In the pantheon of Liverpool greats, there are many exemplars. But alongside Shankly, there is only Dalglish. The significance of his contribution as player, manager and community figurehead is unrivaled by all but his fellow Scott. So, from me in my field here in rural Ireland, happy 70th, Kenny. And thank you. First up with his reminiscences is my podcast compadre Jan Mulby, who played with and for Kenny at Liverpool. Jan being Jan had plenty to say about the King, and I asked him to take me through his impressions of Dalglish before he ever came to Merseyside, the experience of sharing a pitch with him, his recollections of Kenny as gaffer, and finally, the Great Dane has a personal message for his old pal. As a, as a young boy back home in Denmark, and I was a big follower of English football generally, although I wasn't a Liverpool fan. Uh, and I first became aware of Kenny Dalglish in 1978. Uh, it was first the European Cup final at Wembley, uh, they played Club Rouge, and the reason that it was was because that Club Rouge had two Danes uh, playing in team one, and being the goalkeeper Birger Jensen, uh, and then of course Kenny scores the goal, uh, and then I kept an eye on Kenny because then the next thing we have the 1978 World Cup, uh, Kenny was playing for Scotland. For some reason, I became sort of fascinated by Scotland. Uh, they were in the same group as as as, as the Netherlands, so I kept a, a keen keen eye on them. 
Uh, and then, of course, he then became sort of the main player at Liverpool, as I said before, was a big follower. But then in sort of 1981, things changed a little bit for me because then I became a much more footballer myself. And you concentrated a lot more on your own career, didn't watch as much football on TV as I, as I, as I used to. Uh, and then the 1984 uh, European Cup final, Liverpool won on penalties. Uh, that's obviously the, the, the last thing I remember of Kenny before I then became a teammate of his uh, that very same summer. The, the, the first thing the, the listeners have to understand is that, you know, football back then was different to what it is today. It wasn't as high profile. So the players were never as big superstars uh, as, as they are today. And, and one of the things uh, at Anfield was always the cars that, that, that you drove. And should you get above your stations driving a big car, they'll let you know. So when I joined Liverpool, uh, the first thing you see is all these ordinary cars, including including Kenny Lee. So you had sort of no idea of their standing within the team because everybody just drove very ordinary cars. But I came to Liverpool on a 10-day trial, trained with the team uh, for a few days. Then we went to Wembley and then we went to Ireland where I played my trial game, which was home farm on the Monday night. At the end of the game, we had a Phil Neal testimonial dinner and there was a reporter from the local paper of Liverpool, Echo, uh, and that was kind of the story. I was on trial. I played in a game. We won three and I scored a, a goal. And everybody knew that within the next 24 hours, Liverpool were going to make a decision. Uh, so that reporter said to me during the Phil Neal testimony, you know, would you mind doing an interview? He said, bit of backroom in, uh, information. He said, nobody really knows you, so can you tell your story? So I went and sat with the reporter uh, in a room. And I've been in there for two minutes. And the, the door flew open. And it was Kenny. And he came in the room and he went to the reporter. He went, who the fuck gave you permission to talk to him? He's only a young lad. He's here on trial. Fucking leave him alone and drag me out. And I went, I was like, <laughs> for the reporter, I was like, eh. he went, fucking nobody does that. He said, they should always go through the official uh, channels, which to be fair, it wasn't like that anyway. But in a way, I was, I was delighted. So the next day I signed for Liverpool on a three-year contract. Uh, and... For, for, I'm not sure, but in the game in in, uh, in Ireland, I actually shared a room with Kenny. And it was like, fucking hell, why am I sharing with Kenny? I, I wanted to share with, with one of the other young lads that was like a kind of a nobody, but he put me in with Kenny. So looking back, I knew why he did that. Because even before I played a trial game, they decided they were going to sign me. So they wanted Kenny to. And we, I remember you know, on the Monday afternoon talking and Kenny goes, where are you going to live? I said, well, I haven't even signed yet. And I said, I don't know anywhere. And he went, oh, you should live where I live, up, up, up the coast, uh, Southport and all that. So when I signed, that was the first thing, to be fair, Kenny did. He said, listen, here's an estate agent. Give him a ring. Uh, he'll hook you up with some properties you can have a look at. He said, and then when you buy the property, if you need anything, new kitchen, whatever, he said, come to me. Uh, so he kind of, I think he'd been sort of giving a little nods by Joe Fagan, look after him and see what you can do. So I went and looked at some of the houses, never took to the area, never even moved up there. And I still think to this very day, he probably holds me a little bit, why the fucking hell didn't you come up here? But I did <laughs> my own way. Uh, but the one thing in the dressing room with Kenny was, we had an, to be fair, all football dressing rooms are very loud. And, and we had some incredibly loud people. And you always have the people who like, create the atmosphere, create the humour in the dressing room. And Kenny was neither. Kenny was a very quiet man. He always used to sit there. You, you know the way you see Kenny uh, seated with his with his legs straight and then leaning back with his arms folded. That's like Kenny. Kenny he's 
pose. And he would do that every morning. He'd get changed and he'd sit on his spot with his straight legs crossed and arms crossed. And he'd just sit there and listen and giggle. Uh, and every now and again, he'd fire something, raise a shot, and he'd just sit back and enjoy himself. I generally think that Kenny thought those moments where he sat in that dressing room, and as I said before, he wasn't the main man in the dressing room. I, I, I absolutely think he adored those moments, just sitting there listening to the lads and being part of all that banter, of which most of it he wasn't part of it because of the way he was. But the one thing he sensed above anything else was the respect, uh, because some of the lads, when the dressing room was loud, if Steve Nichols wanted to say something, nobody fucking listened. But the moment that Kenny opened his mouth, everybody went, ooh, better be quiet here, just in case we upset him. So there was massive respect, although Kenny never saw himself as being anything other than on the same level as, as, as everybody else. So in, in, in 1983, when, when, when Joe and, uh became the manager, obviously the idea was uh, for him to, to stay for the three years the contract that he signed. Uh, won't go into details, but in, in the summer of 1985, he decided he'd had enough uh, and speculations, but before anyone could speculate too far, bang, player manager, Kenny Douglas. That was a surprise. I mean, at that time, certainly the most successful football club in Europe, and to, to appoint a 35-year-old player manager was unbelievable. But within the camp, nobody nobody even batted an eye with him. And yeah, makes sense. We've got respect for Kenny. Uh, he'll have Ronnie and Roy alongside him. This will be absolutely fine. And then we came back for pre-season in the summer of 1985. A lot of spotlight on us uh, after Hillsborough with a, with, a, with, a, with a new manager. But nothing changed, you know. And in fairness, the only thing that changed was probably Bob Paisley became a bit more prominent uh, in that we saw more of him. Metalwood, we saw more of him around the games. Although he never really spoke to us, he was just there. And I think Kenny used Bob an awful lot in these first 18 months or so. But then also became pretty clear that Kenny was a keen watcher of football. He loved European football. Uh, and obviously me being from mainland Europe, uh, I was often the one he would go to. And we would talk about football. And then he fell in love with the national team that I played for, Denmark. And he came and watched Denmark here, there and everywhere. And he absolutely loved the way we played. Then he fell in love with the AC Milan team of, of, the, of the late 80s. And he'd always quiz me about that mainly because of the three Dutch guys that I knew well from my time at Ajax. Uh, and then he started to do various things, not in training, we still did the same training, but in games, you know, tactical approach. He wasn't nowhere near the way it is today, but he would approach various games in a, in a different way. So you could see that he was a keen keen watcher of football and wanted to try something different uh, and, 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 and explore what possibility there was in his squad. Uh, so, yeah, I, again, as I must have said, you know, when he used to sit in that dressing room, and I think he loved it. I also think he really, really enjoyed being a manager and having that sort of uh, almost allowed to do whatever you want to do with the team because that's not forgetting. I mean, he had a lot of good players and he, and he played around with it a little bit. But I still think that when, you know, when people talk about, I mean, Jurgen Klopp, who's now our manager, is doing really well, and people say he's the best we've had since, since, since Bob Paisley. You, you probably need to do yourself a favour and, 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 and study Kenny Lovely's, uh time as a, as a Liverpool manager because I think it, it, it matches up to the best. So, so obviously Kenny left in, in, in 1991 and you know, quickly after he left, he became the manager of, of various other clubs and I don't think that ever did any damage uh, to his popularity uh, as, a, as, a, as a Liverpool legend uh, and, and, and at the first opportunity Liverpool brought him back as an 
as an ambassador, as a director, and and, and even at 2012, I think it was, or they brought him back as a as, as a manager. And I think I think that the sort of new new people at Anfield were were simply blown away by the popularity of Kenny when he came back as a as a manager. So when you're a current player and you're a great current player, then people always go, "Oh, he's the best I've ever seen." It's very difficult to survive time. You know, and you try and survive 10, 20, 30. Well, it is just over 30 years ago since Kenny played his last game for Liverpool. And he has easily survived all that time. And that'll be no different in 50 years' time. I still think that in the cold day of light, as much as we will talk about other players, I think Kenny Douglas will remain as the greatest Liverpool player ever. I've been very fortunate that I've always had a great relationship with Kenny. We've always been able to discuss the finer points of football, even when he was the manager of Blackburn. He rung me up uh, because he was in the process of signing two Danish players. And I always appreciated that. You know, the fact that he's never felt he was he was he was he was too big to ask. Uh, and, and and even when I see him now, and of course I see less and less of him, uh, it's like there's just some people that although in many ways he's different to me, you you just slip into being with him uh, so easy and what we normally have, we normally have a, a day at Christmas where we do a bit of a lunch and we have a bit of a laugh, isn't it? You know, it's, it's just an enclosed little group uh, and it's it's great fun and Kenny has great sense of humour. As I said, he's still, still pretty quiet, but, but he's got a great sense of humour and uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's an honour really being able to, uh, to talk about King Kenny and being able to wish him a happy uh, 70th birthday. Uh, you know, he has been a He's been an incredible player for Liverpool, an incredible manager, but generally I think he's been an incredible man uh, with, with, with him and his, his wife and the family and whatever. It, it, is, it is in many ways a unique family and he was a unique player and a unique man, so happy birthday. I must admit to being unaware of Mr Dalglish's sideline as an estate agent, but as ever, Jan has a new angle for us. Next up is Kenny's compatriot, Sunday Times football correspondent, Jonathan Northcroft, who speaks about his childhood memories of Kenny as a legend of Scottish football, his experiences as a journalist, including an interesting tale about Dalglish's rather odd tactic of bringing Celtic media conferences to a pub in the east end of Glasgow, and also where he thinks Kenny ranks in the list of Scottish players. What does Kenny mean to me? I mean, that... I think for, for any Scot of my generation, it's a really deep question because it's, it's asking you about a pillar of your entire life. And Kenny means, I suppose, sort of childhood, uh, falling in love with football, um, a representation of, of greatness, of Scottish greatness. And some, you know, I've always seen Kenny Dalglish as just somebody golden. Who, who was golden when he was a player and he, he's still got a kind of air about him. Um, my first memory would be, of Kenny would be 1977, Scotland, England, um, in my wee village near Aberdeen. Uh, it seems just such a long time ago now, but um, actually like going to a neighbour's house and crowding around the TV, all the, all the kind of dads and kids crowding around someone's little TV watching Scotland, England and, the ball going through Clemens's legs and, and Kenny playing for Scotland. Um, and then, obviously, you didn't see much football in those days, but you, you got to see the, the cup finals. So seeing Liverpool in the European finals once every year, it seemed, um, with Kenny being a big, big part of that. And, you know, Kenny for Scotland scoring that goal against Spain, going out into the, 
the playground to try and recreate it. For some reason, the goal he scored against Israel really sticks in my, my mind. Um, I think it was 1982 and probably just a time that I was really deep, deep in love with football with Aberdeen doing so well. Um, and that one sticks in my mind. And, um, and really, you know, my first picture of Kenny is still Kenny, the football player, and Kenny with those celebrations when he, when he scored one of, his, one of his great goals. Kenny doesn't suffer fools, as any journalist will find out, will have found out quite quickly. But, I mean, I, yeah, I, I didn't cover him as a player. I came into, uh, I didn't really cover him as a, as a Liverpool manager either until his, um, his, his second spell in charge. I came into football writing in, in, in 1995. Um, obviously, Kenny was at Blackburn, but I was working in Scotland, and, and that was my sort of patch at the time. And my first sort of real dealings with him were when he came to Celtic, um, just as director of football, and then had to, <laughs> had to come home from his holiday to, to try and um, steady the ship after... John Barnes's departure, and that was a that was a strange era because, I mean, Celtic were getting a lot of bad press, and Kenny, in his way, wasn't going to just sit and take take it. He decided to sort of come out fighting, and he uh, he decided to um, move press conferences away from Celtic Park, and first of all, hold them in a pub in in um, <laughs> in the East End of Glasgow, and then in the Celtic Supporters Club, which was right in the the depths of the east end of Glasgow. And I remember turning up there in, in my car, um, you know, basically dodging the golf balls that kids were throwing at you as you as you went inside. And that was just Kenny's way. I mean, inside he was fine. You know, he, he did his press conference. But that was just his way, I think, of saying, right, I'm going to get you onto our territory then if, if you're not going to treat us right. Um, as a young reporter and, and, and you know, you're sitting talking to Kenny Dalgleish, so there's a certain amount of awe. But I was lucky. I was I was very lucky with with Kenny. I think to to do a few things over the years, a um, couple of couple of one on one interviews with him, and get to know him a little bit when he was Liverpool manager second time round. Um, which you know, some managers keep you on your toes. Kenny certainly did. I think a stupid question, a daft question, you, you could smell a mile off. So it's one of those where. He, you didn't just open your mouth and say what came out at a press conference. You had to try and think of something worthwhile to ask or else you'd get that acerbic wit. But I mean, I have to say one of my treasured memories of, 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 of journalism, I suppose, was, um, I'm trying to think what year it is. It was maybe three or four years ago, but I went up to Motherwell, um, to Carfin actually, just Motherwell, to interview Kenny, he was doing something for McDonald's. It was a it was a um, kids football thing. He was presenting prizes to little boys teams and coaches. And we sat in the little clubhouse um, in the rain, pouring outside. And I got half an hour with Kenny and, and just read a read an amazing conversation about just his his kind of football journey. And he told me about his days playing for Celtic and for the Celtic youth team. And arriving at Aberdeen train station and with the rest of the youth team walking through the streets, it's about a mile and a half from this train station in Aberdeen to Petaudry, and, and actually walking through the Aberdeen streets with, with the, you know, with basically ready to play football down up Union Street, down King Street. And 
you do, one of those pinch yourself moments, you're sitting talking to a great, a legend and, and hearing those kind of memories and thinking someone as great as Kenny Dalglish used to have to walk to, to play football. Quite amazing. And um, I've seen him for a few years, but I, I, I saw him most recently on the uh, thing he did with Fergie and Jurgen Klopp for the LMA. And uh, he, uh, he, he sort of as golden as ever, you know, the, the wit and the smile and the kind of warmth, I think, that, that has maybe come through more to me as a journalist in later years than those earlier years when I was probably more scared of him. <laughs> You know, Scotland's produced some incredible footballers. But you ask yourself, how many true world greats has it produced? Um, and I would say, might mention Graeme Souness up there as well. Um, in terms of left-backs, Danny McGrain. Sorry, right, full-backs, Danny McGrain, uh, I should say, would be up there. Um, I'm not sure if there's anyone else except for Kenny and for Dennis Law. Um, because these were two players that could walk into any team in the world. And although they came from the Scottish game, both of them, I think, played the game in a, in a way that would have fitted into a continental team. You know, Kenny was a, Kenny was a number 10 or second striker or you know, whatever you want before that was invented. Um, and, and Dennis was just a pure um, predator, pure finisher who, you know, had pace and could, could, could put the ball away. So could play any era like Kenny. Um, people like Baxter and Johnston had incredible talent, um, but maybe didn't quite or didn't achieve what, what those two did. I'd say, so I'd say they're probably, those two and soonest might be our, our greatest ever. You could hear the genuine reverence Jonathan has for his countryman in those words. And I found myself nodding along as he spoke. A journalistic colleague of Mr Northcroft's is up next, Liverpool FC reporter for The Athletic UK, James Pearce. He tells us what Kenny means to him, how it felt to interact professionally with the King, and why Dalgleish has more than earned the honour of having a stand named after him at Anfield. Kenny means to me the absolute epitome of everything that's best about Liverpool Football Club. Um, someone who epitomises the values um, someone who always puts others before himself, someone whose who's dignity, whose humility, his humour, his respect, um, just shines like a, an absolute beacon. Um, someone who's this amazing, iconic figure, adored by supporters for you know the heroics he produced in a Liverpool shirt, someone who made that leap to the dugout and brought, you know, m- m- again, made people's dreams come true with all the glory he oversaw as a manager. Um, but he's he's even more than that because he's someone who provided leadership and hope and support during Liverpool's darkest hour in the aftermath of, of Hillsborough. So, um, yeah, it's, it's difficult to put into words, I think, what Kenny Dogleish means to me and probably millions of others because, um, yeah, there is no one else quite like Kenny. I mean, dealing with Kenny Dogleish for the first time for me was quite surreal because um, it, his return uh, to the to the Anfield dugout in, in January uh, 2011 coincided pretty much with when I became the Echoes Liverpool reporter. And um, yeah, he was I mean, he was my dad's hero uh, during his playing days. And um, 
you know, certainly he was as a kid growing up in the in the eighties. He was this, you know, this this kind of special figure who'd compiled this, built this amazing Liverpool team that had um, that, that was just a, an absolute winning machine, wasn't it? So, so to suddenly find myself face to face with him on a on a you know a weekly basis at, at Melwood took some getting used to, and um, yeah, I'd be. I'd be lying if I said uh, I wasn't very nervous, um, but he was, he, I wouldn't, I think, I think uh, you know, he was never a man that gave too much away. I think that was always his, um, his policy was as manager was always, you know, if you can say as little as possible to the media, that's probably the, the best way to, to go about it. Um, but, uh, no, just uh, an incredible guy. And I think you could, I think the, the thing that I always came away from speaking to Kenny you know, feeling that you just you knew why he had this special knack of getting the best out of people. Um, there was a reason why, you know, he was the man picked to galvanise Liverpool Football Club a decade ago when the club was absolutely on its knees, having, you know, been on the brink of administration and been in a, in a not far off a relegation battle. It had fallen so far. And um, yeah, it was it was a privilege to, to gain an insight into... Know, how he brought people together um, and inspired people um, because, you know, there, there's something about him that, that brings out the absolute best in, in everyone he comes into contact with. It's a huge honour. And I think, do you know what, the, it was it was very, very fitting as well because, um, you know, you, you obviously you've got the, the tributes at Anfield to, to Shankly and, and Paisley, uh, rightly so for you know the two unbelievably iconic figures in 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 Liverpool's history but um you know I think that stand shows to me that you know Kenny Dogleash is in a class of his own you know you can you can you can argue the case and people will continue to do so who was the greatest player to pull on a Liverpool shirt and for me it's a very close run thing between Kenny Dogleash and Steven Gerrard um but in terms of a man who has given more to Liverpool Football Club than anyone else, I, I don't think there is a conversation to be had. It is, it is Kenny Dogleash. You look at what he's given, you know, over the course of more than you know, an association that dates back over forty years, as a player, as as a manager, um, as a as a figurehead, you know, as a an absolute pillar of support. You know, everything he's done in the community, you know, the millions generated for for charity with with Marina. That have transformed the lives of so so many. So um, so yeah, that that stand is um, is a fitting tribute to a, a truly great man. As James says, Kenny Dalglish's impact goes so far beyond football, and he was quite right to acknowledge the endless dedication the Scott, his wife Marina, and their family have to their charitable activities. Now, Gags Tandon and Eddie Gibbs, who along with another Scott, Greg Hopcroft, are Le Grand Fromage here at AI Pro Towers, are hard men to impress. So, it was with some delight that I listened to the following assessments from both my pals of the impact Kenny has had on them. First up is an endearingly tongue-tied Gags, speaking of his joy at getting to work with the great man. And then a more garrulous Eddie pays his own tribute whilst revealing that he is now, in essence, Kenny's cable guy. Kenny Dalglish was obviously the first real manager that I can remember of um, Liverpool growing up, So, and, and that being a player manager as well. So, I mean, he's 
literally the person you you look up to the 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 number one idol looking back the messiah everything and he became one when he came back in 2011 which which also was the first year of anfield index so for me it, it he's massive in multiple ways one becoming a red two starting this whole thing off he was here you know for both of those massive things in my life and um the joy of watching them as a as a child uh, i mean he built that team in 88 and 89 really they were they were something really really special and um he was a massive part of that and those days will never i'll never forget winning the title you know back in those days and you know i got to witness a few of them as a kid and we didn't get to do it again until um last year and he was actually a part of Anfield Index at that point <laughs> and, you know uh, it, it means the world to have the greatest player um the greatest you know identity of a of a you know person at, at the club the greatest the the king you know he's got a he's got a stand named after him be a part of something that you've created and basically, for me, it's just been, it's it's been surreal. Totally, totally surreal. So, yeah, it's, he, he, he means the world, he means everything. And, and I think without um, Paul, obviously, we wouldn't have been able to get uh, Kenny in onto the podcast at all. So a big thank you to Paul for that and uh, giving us the opportunity. And I even got to host a pod with Sir Kenny and... Um, it, Again, it's just one of those things where you can say you've done it because he's just that massive to us in our lives and as Liverpool supporters and being able... I'm I'm blessed. I really am blessed to have had conversations with him and been able to speak to him. So, you know, on his birthday, just want to wish him a massive, massive happy birthday and uh, wish him many, many more birthdays to come because he's that important. He's that special. And what he's done for... You know, the city and the game and all of it, it's just I, the words I put together just won't justify any of it, any of it or, or, you know, be enough. He's that important to everyone. So for him to be part of Amford Index for me meant uh, actually means the world. So, yeah, Nidal Leash is everything, really. So absolutely fantastic. And once again, I wish you a very, very happy birthday, Kenny. Kenny Dalglish, the name straight away takes me back to childhood. There's a, it's a, it's a name that I started hearing as sort of an eight year old. And then when I got into football around nine in 1985, Kenny was with Liverpool and taking them to uh, another European cup final. And then I looked into the backlog and the things that he had done as a, as a player, because he was only a player at that point uh, and the incredible success he'd had and obviously having a Scottish family, this man was synonymous with uh, with everything to do with football in this country, uh, whether it be a family member having their red shirt and then stitching because they used to do this. So you couldn't just walk into a, a shop and buy a name and number. They would cut the number seven from white cloth and hand stitch it onto the back of shirts. And I thought, wow, the fact that people are putting that number seven on these red shirts, what's that all about? And it kind of just drew my attention to the man more and more and uh, wondering what he had actually achieved and what he may go on to achieve. And at that point, that really 
solidified my fandom of Liverpool, if you like, and then to see what he did in uh, in 1986, winning the double for the first time, and then going on to build what is undoubtedly to me, certainly until recent times in this Jurgen Klopp team, the best side that represented Liverpool in my lifetime, the team of uh, of Barnes, Beardsley, Aldridge, Ian Rush coming back. And uh, it was just an incredible uh, feat for him to manage that team and play the style of football that they did. And you just thought it would go on forever. And uh, I remember being dumbfounded, if you like. I was at boarding school at the time and one of the teachers told me that uh, Kenny Dalglish had resigned following the whole Hillsborough thing. And the media wasn't what it is now. So you weren't aware of any undertones or anything like that. You knew that Kenny was uh, going to these funerals. You knew that obviously he was uh, trying to console the families as best he could after the Hillsborough disaster, but you never realized the toll that that was taken on him personally. It was only much later when you look back on those videos and you actually see the look on his face when the press conference was there with, with Peter Robinson and they were saying that Kenny Dalglish had decided to leave that uh, you could, tell the toll that it had taken on him and uh, and probably Marina and the family as well. And he just needed a break. He, he, he just he just wasn't himself. It wasn't the Kenny Dalgleish that we had known to grow in love. And this horrible uh, tragedy had taken its toll on on him in a way that I don't think any of us as fans could, could possibly remember. And then following his career closely from there, you saw obviously what he went and done with Blackburn. And again, it's come out in later years how desperate he was to come back to Liverpool, even uh, in, towards the end of his time at Blackburn and, and the time after that. And the chance just never really uh, materialised until it was probably a bit too late when he when he did come back in, in 2011. So it was, I mean, like most fans, uh, we were all excited when he did come back, obviously being unveiled uh, after uh, coming back from his cruise <laughs> in the in the Gulf and uh, showing up at Old Trafford in a big long puffy coat, it was very uh, reminiscent of what we all uh, what we all saw as children. And uh, if anything, it was sad that it was it was short lived. Obviously, two cup finals. Uh, I managed to go to to both of those, and uh, that was great to see Kenny winning silverware again as a manager. And uh, and then latterly, obviously, comes into the club uh, as an ambassador. Even after that, so I mean, how many, how often does that happen? Where a manager's uh, effectively removed by uh, by the owners and uh, very quickly uh, surfaces again as an ambassador, and that just shows the esteem that he's held in and and the legend that he has. And then comes a, a time where uh, you're lucky enough not just to uh, not just to meet the man and 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 hold a regular podcast with him but to actually get to know him off camera and off air as well as a, as a friend and that's a that's an absolutely baffling and surreal thing for me and uh, you do have to separate the two at times or it doesn't uh, it doesn't quite work in your mind but uh, when the phone rings and it's Kenny Dalglish needing help with something it's uh, uh, normally technology wise <laughs> he's getting better but he still uh, he still struggles with the odd thing now and then and whether it be helping him with his airpods or helping him with his telly or, or whatever it's all it's always a privilege to uh, to get to help him and uh, it's uh, it's one of those things that I'm, I, I, I never doubt how lucky I am for, from all the Liverpool fans in the world to have a very unique relationship with him now, which is uh, it's something that as a kid you just can't fathom would ever be the case. And as I say, you, you do have to have that degree of separation, or you would, uh, or you would just tear your head around the the fact that you're speaking to Kenny Dalglish so regularly. But uh, what a, what a great man, as as humble a person as you could possible possibly meet, and he knows full well within himself how great his achievements are, but he would be the first to put the credit onto others. Uh, so, uh, so given, so, uh, so generous with his time. If you ask him to do anything, he'll, uh, he might not do it right away, but it'll certainly come back to you and he, he won't forget. And that's one of the, uh, the great things about him is that he, he, he knows he can use what he's achieved in the game and, 
his status as a as a person within Liverpool Football Club and within football to uh, to make the lives better for so many others. And we've seen that with uh, what he's been doing with the Marina Dalglish appeal and some of the amazing work that uh, he's done there and got the family involved, uh, obviously with Lauren and Kelly and Lindsay and Paul. And uh, it's a family charity. It's very much done that way. I know it's got Marina's name on the uh, on the tin, but it's uh, it's something that they're all very uh, very passionate about to do good for the community and for the NHS and for this horrible disease of cancer that inflicted Marina and so many others. And that's been uh, the latest chapter in an amazing list of things that Kenny Dalgleish has achieved uh, as a person, as a human being, uh, which uh, out, outlies all. And I mean, you hear him speak about everyone would have built up the rivalry with the likes of Sir Alex Ferguson and the things. And you see on that uh, video that they did just a few weeks ago with Jurgen Klopp and Gareth Southgate, how, how well these guys get on. And you've heard Kenny speak about it himself as well, that uh, Ferguson was always the first to congratulate him on winning anything. And those things people wouldn't even think happened. You know what I mean? You, would th- you, you see the tribalness of the whole relationship and uh, the, the sort of, I, th- I think it's safe to say borderline hatred that there's been in the past between Liverpool and Man United fans. And you wouldn't think that sort of thing exists, but Kenny Dalglish is a football man first and foremost. And he's the guy that Liverpool would put forward in any situation like that to be a, an ambassador for the club. And there couldn't be a better ambassador to have a stand name after him as a fit and tribute. Uh, there's not many. And uh, obviously Bill Shangley has his gates and we have a, uh, statues of Bob Paisley and, and Gates for him as well. And uh, so Kenny Dalglish has a stand. I mean, amazing. What a, what a brilliant honour. And to, to be able to have things like that in your lifetime as well, not uh, obviously the stuff that's happened with uh, Bill Shanklin, Bob Paisley's come after the two greats have passed, but Kenny's getting to see all this uh, firsthand. And uh, it must make him feel uh, very proud as a, as a person to see what he's achieved, both in his career and in his, uh, and, and in his public profile. And, uh, like to wish him a very happy birthday. 70 years. It makes me feel very old to think Kenny Dalglish is now 70 years old. Uh, but uh, an amazing man and a very happy birthday to him from, from it, from me and from everyone at Anfield Index who's been fortunate enough to have worked with him over this past couple of years that he's been doing bits and bobs with us. Uh, we're very fortunate. We don't, uh, we don't hide from that whatsoever. And uh, I look forward to helping him for many more years with all his uh, tech gremlins and everything else. So uh, Kenny, happy birthday. I will never get over the sheer delight both of the lads take in simply conversing with our favourite knight of the realm. Nice to see some genuine humility in the normally aloof podfather and the man some see as Kenny's only rival as King of Scotland. I kid, of course. Now, if ever there was a man unlikely to be stuck for an opinion, it's my friend and fellow Navin man Dave Hendrick, an AIOG and stalwart. Dave's two-footed podcast is a wonderful platform for his particular brand of forthright footy philosophy. Needless to say, when asked to opine on the king, Dave had plenty to offer. I think there's three parts to what Kenny means to all Liverpool fans. There's Kenny the player, there's Kenny the manager, and then there's Kenny the man. As a player, he's arguably the greatest player that, to ever play for our club. He's arguably the greatest British player of all time. When he arrived from Celtic to replace Kevin Keegan, who was who was leaving, he was filling massive shoes. I mean, Kevin Keegan was one of the best players in the world. And Kenny didn't just replace him, he raised the level and raised the bar of what it was to be a Liverpool player. He took over as manager because we needed him to take over as manager when Joe Fagan resigned. I don't know whether Kenny had ambitions to manage at that point or not. I don't know whether he himself 
would have chosen to go into management if not for the the retirement of Joe Fagan. But he took over in very difficult circumstances off the back of of uh, Heisel and led us to great success. And then he left. He went to Blackburn, had great success, went to Newcastle, you know, did well there, um, went to Celtic. And then he was out of management for over a decade and then came back when we were at a really low point. And if you look at each time Kenny has taken on a challenge or a role with Liverpool, we needed a replacement for Kevin Keegan. We were losing our best player. Kenny Dogleash steps up. We needed a replacement for Joe Fagan, who had decided to resign. Kenny Dogleash steps up. We needed a saviour in 2011 after Hodgson, after the horror of the Hicks and Gillette era. We needed a manager to reunite the fan base, which had become incredibly fractured. We needed a manager to turn things around on the field. And once again, Kenny Dogleash stepped up. He didn't have to. He was retired. He could have stayed retired. He's probably very happy with his life. But he parked all of that to come back to the club. And as a player and a manager, he has been exceptional for us. As a player, he won six league titles, an FA Cup, four League Cups, three European Cups. I mean... Some players don't do that in, in three careers. He did that in part of his career with us. That was after winning so much with Celtic. Four league titles, four cups, and a league cup with them. Think about that. Think this man has ten league titles and three European cups to his name. There's very few players can match that across the history of the game. Then he becomes manager. And he wins two more titles. The, the first title is the is when he's player manager. That's the, the the sixth title of his playing career with us. But he wins two more titles after that when he's just the manager. Another FA Cup. And then when he comes back, he leads us to a League Cup. He won a Premier League with Blackburn. He was a great manager. He's often overlooked when people talk about the great British managers. But there's no doubt he's a great manager. In his first spell with us, he wins three titles. He goes to Blackburn, he wins another. He is a great manager. Arsene Wenger spent 19 years at Arsenal, didn't win four league titles. Kenny won four league titles in eight years as a manager. Sorry, nine years as a manager. Because he took one off after leaving us. But he was a great manager on top of having been one of the greatest footballers Britain has ever produced, if not the greatest footballer. So there's all of that. And then there's Kenny, the man and Kenny, the man again, stood up, not when the football club needed him, when the city needed him, 
post Hillsborough, when the city needed a figure to cling to, to carry them through a horrendously traumatic time, Kenny was the one that they could all go to. Attending all of those funerals, putting so much of his time into the community, into trying to help people, heal people. Kenny the man far outranks Kenny the player or the manager. And he's always been an incredibly selfless person who's put others before himself when it comes to Liverpool club and City. To become a manager, the man had to make a decision. To come back as manager, the man had to make a decision. And as I say, when when the City needed him, he was there for them as well. Not just for the football club, but for the entire city. Blue and red. And when you hear about how respected he is throughout the game, up and down the country, different clubs, different fan bases, nobody has a bad word to say about him because of the admiration that they have for him. Because of the respect that he's earned. And he's earned every bit of that respect. So when I think of Kenny and what he means to me, I think of the man who every single time Liverpool, club or city, asked anything of him, he put them first and himself second. That's what Kenny Dalglish means to me. I have to say, Dave's focus on Kenny's stepping up when needed is particularly spot on. I remember the sheer giddiness I felt when he stepped into the breach in 2011. Just joy and pride and excitement and, well, relief. Now, Mirror football writer Jim Boardman, a tremendous podcaster with Anfield Index, is a man of a similar vintage to myself, and his words, which you are about to hear, are characteristically honest and expressive, as they recount memories that are incredibly vivid to me too. Here he is now for your listening pleasure. What does Kenny Dalglish mean to me? Where to start? I mean, as a Liverpool fan, he means everything. Um, I can still remember, um, I think my, my earliest memory of him is thinking, who on earth is this guy with a name I can't pronounce? Um, I was only little, um, and this name was sort of Dalglish. How do you say that? Dalglish, Dalglish. You know, and it was, I can still remember not being able to, to say it. And I don't think my mum can even now. I still don't think my mum can actually say his name. Um, but, we just um, we just won the European Cup. Kevin Keegan was my hero, our number seven. Um, still, you know, still a little kid, still sort of loving every minute of being a Liverpool fan. It was all new to me. Uh, Keegan was leaving. Who was this Dalglish guy? Who was he? Um, we played the Charity Shield. I think it was his first game. It was nil nil. I don't remember much about that. Um, still thinking, well, he didn't score. He didn't score in his first proper game for us. Um, that was it. And that was it. That was the end of my sort of. Um, if you like, animosity towards him or my sort of indifference towards him. I think pretty soon, um, like any Liverpool fan at the time, just fell in love with him. Um, He was the man that won games for us. He was the man that fought for us. He was the man that won battles for us. Um, He he, he was a tremendous player to watch. Um, 
not just when he scored the goal, but the way he created things, the way he, the way he could hold play up for other people. I mean, sticking that backside out and, um, and and winning fouls and just everything about him at the time was just so so exciting. Um, of course, that that thing about winning the European Cup just before he joined, well, we went to win another one, didn't we? Um, a year later, and he played a massive part in that at Wembley um, as we retained it after having not won the European Cup. Um, before we'd won it the first year, the first time the year before, we'd now won it a second time, and it felt by now pretty clear that we, uh, you know, we could all say Who, who's Kevin Keegan. Um, you know, we, we didn't miss him one bit. He slotted straight into that number seven shirt and did did far far more. But not just as a player, of course. Um, I mean, that was 1977 when he joined. By the time he'd been a player for about eight years, and he still had, in my opinion, plenty of playing years left in him. He got offered the job of player manager which he took, um, and if anything, um, added even more to his to his, um, to his his legendary status because um, everything done as a player, he did even more as a manager. If there's anything we can say to criticise him as a manager, he didn't play the number seven enough um, because there were times where he didn't play himself. And maybe, maybe that's understandable because, you know, a bit of multitasking there. He's trying to see what's going on on the pitch. And when you're heavily involved, maybe, especially as a front man, you can't really see it. Um, but when he did need to use himself, he did. Um, and he did the job well. Um, he built a club that, well, he didn't build a club. He, he sort of came into a club that was already built, but he, he kept going in what had come before. He's the most humble man I can think of, considering what he can do, um, considering his skills. If you ever listen to him, you ever ever watch an interview with him, apart from him um, laughing and joking and all the rest of it, um, he's very, very down to earth, very humble. Um, always, always quick to praise other people. He never takes all the credit himself. Um, every interview I've ever heard from him, that's what he's been like. Um, the early days of the interviews, maybe we couldn't understand him. Um, that broad accent was a bit too much for us. But as time's gone on and he's spent all those years living in Formby, um, the accent's mellow just a little bit, just a little bit. Um, but I think the thing is, when I talk about being able to understand him, is that we do understand him. I mean, he understands us. He, he knows what it is to be a Liverpool player, to be a Liverpool fan. He knows what the game means to us. Much the same way that Bill Shankly did, the man that kind of built the modern Liverpool, um, that was succeeded by Bob Paisley, who became um, the sort of mentor to Kenny Dalglish for a little while. Um, not just in sort of he was a, he was an official mentor, but I'm sure when you listen to Kenny, um, he talks about what he learned from Bob Paisley as a player. Not so even when he couldn't go to him for advice or didn't go to him for advice, he had the advice in the back of his head. Um, of course, Joe Fagan was another man that he, he actually succeeded from, and that meant he came into the club at a difficult time. Um, we just had the tragedy of Heisel and, and what that meant for the club. And, you know, rightly so, the club was criticised for what had gone on because of a, a minority of fans bringing such shame onto the club. It meant we had no European football. Um, you know, and as an ambassador to the, to the club at the time, um, he knew how we had to conduct ourselves. And pretty quickly, we'd won everything with him as manager. But I think that tragedy came again in 1989 in a different way, in different circumstances, much much closer to home when we lost 96 of our own. And the way he acted after that, um, it says everything about the man. I think he went to every funeral he was asked to go to. He went and visited family. He went and visited uh, people who were in hospital. He 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 acted as, I, I'm not sure what the word is to use for him because you're trying to think of as a family member that he reminds you of. And maybe he was too young to be a sort of a, a grandfather figure at the time. He was more of a father figure or an uncle figure. And I think 
this is the feeling I get from him that he's a familiar face. He's the man that comes and makes everything okay. Um, if you're a kid and you've got you've got a happy upbringing, I suppose um, it, it, you're having a hard time. It's your mum or your dad that comes along and makes you feel better when you've just fallen over and cut your knee or something. And that's kind of what Kenny did as a footballer on the pitch. Um, it was glorious. Um, as a manager, he was amazing. As a person, it's another level again. And we saw that, you know, especially after Hillsborough. Um, the reaction that you saw when he came back to be a manager for a short spell tells you everything that we all thought of him. It was like um, we'd lost our club. These American owners that we'd had previously had just ruined the club. They, we'd fallen into despair. We'd got new American owners who were still trying to find their feet. We had Roy Hodgson as manager. Um, we felt so, so far away from being wherever we'd be before. It felt like we had lost the club. And then along comes Kenny to give it us back. Um, it's a shame he didn't stay longer as manager. Um, and that's that's a debate for itself uh, for another day. Um, but the fact is he gave us such a lift at the time. He brought Luis Suarez to the club as well. Um, he just made us happy again. And that's what he's done. He's put smiles on faces and put smiles on my face so many times down the years. Um, I met him once. Um, now, at the time, I'd met a lot of Liverpool players, past and present, um, and I'd interviewed them. Um, you know, not a problem. I always sort of treated them as, as, as sort of fellow human beings and just had a chat to them. But when I met Kenny, it was at, um, it was like a sort of a lunch session. And I just basically sat the whole time and watched him. I hardly spoke. I did manage to pluck up the courage towards the end to sort of chat to him briefly. Uh, I was just in awe. And that's never happened to me before with anyone. I've never been like that. I've always been happy to just talk to people with Kenny. It was just on another level. Um, and I think it always will be with Kenny. I think there's something about the man that he's given everything to Liverpool Football Club. Um, he, he, he joined us and I know he had to move away. And the pressure got too much after Hillsborough. Um, we went to win a league with Blackburn. I, th- I think if if we'd have given him time and given him a chance to adapt to the modern game, maybe he'd have won another league with us. Um, that was the only thing against him really in, that, in terms of that role was that he had been out of the game so long. It had changed so much that maybe... Uh, maybe there was too much for him. But it says a lot about him that the club got him to come back as an ambassador and to stay on as an ambassador. And he represents the club so well. Um, the hardest thing to believe now is he's 70. Um, but maybe that takes me back to when we sort of look at him as a father figure or a grandfather figure. I think to the younger generation, he must feel like a bit of a grandfather figure. He's this man, he's this familiar face that makes us all feel that, you know, we're happy, we're, we're enjoying ourselves. We're going to go somewhere. Um, he looks after the integrity of the club. Um, I mean, there might be people who have criticism of him, but you don't get many Liverpool fans who are critical of him. And I think a lot of the criticism of him, in my view, probably comes from jealousy because people should know better, shouldn't they, than to mess with King Kenny. And that's, again, another thing there as well. I think that's the first time I've used the word king, you know, all this time I've been speaking. And maybe that's what he is. He's the king to us. Um and for a city like Liverpool that can be so anti-royal, so anti-English, so anti-British even, um, at times that, you know, it, Liverpool's this little republic, if you like, this strong and powerful republic. And maybe that's what Kenny is, he's our king. I'm not sure the Blue Noses will agree completely with that. Um, but we don't really care what they say anyway, do we? Because they never care what we say, they always say. Um, and I think that that's what it is, though. I think, I think he is a special, special man who... Um, he deserves every honour that you can get, that you can give. Um, but I think the honour he wants, the main honour he wants is to know what he does know. And that's what Liverpool fans think of him. And they think the world of him, uh, me especially. 
he, you know, from that, that Mr. Dalgleish, whose name I couldn't pronounce back in the summer of 77 as a kid, um, what's he become? He's become a legend that, um, in a way, uh, you almost forget how good he was as a player until you see a clip. Um, he was just brilliant. And I'm going on a little bit too long now, but yeah, he's definitely my hero, my Liverpool hero. And that, I, I put him on a, on a, the gap between him and the rest is massive. And that's nothing against the other ones. It just says more about him than anyone else. He's just, um, by far and away, um, probably the best thing to happen to Liverpool in my lifetime. I really related to Jim's words there on how reassuring Kenny is for us as Liverpool fans. He's right. Just the man's presence has made us happy, comforted us and brought us pride. Jim's moment of starstruck silence upon meeting the King is something I think Manny will have experienced. But we finish now with a man who literally grew up with Kenny Dalglish, a man whose childhood memories include sharing open-topped bus rides with his dad and a plethora of superstars as the Reds display the latest cup to come to Anfield. Paul Dalglish is a former professional footballer who is currently the general manager and head coach of USL championship side Miami FC. After a harrowing revelation early on, Paul's wit and barbed humour oddly reminiscent of a certain other Dalglish, cannot hide his affection for a man who, as he insightfully says, was his hero while simultaneously being just as revered by countless people all over the globe, even here in rural Ireland. As a fellow follically challenged man, I've always felt tremendous affinity with Dalglish the Younger. Listen now as he draws our celebration very close to an end. What does Kenny Dalglish mean to me? I never knew that's what I was on for. Uh, no, no, this is bringing back some bad memories. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't feel comfortable with this. Uh, I, I remember coming home from school one day and, and finding Kenny Dalglish in bed with my mother. Uh, never, I've never recovered. Never recovered. No, seriously, it's, uh, no, obviously it's, it's, uh, it's father-son uh, relationship, you know, where, where, uh, you know, and I know people people kind of think, oh, what would it be like growing up with, with Kenny Dalglish as your dad? Well, I've, you know, it's an answer that I've said quite a lot. People are probably sick of hearing it, but I, I've never had another dad. And, and you know, I can only compare what I've seen to friends of mine and their relationships with their fathers. And, and you know, it's like every, or not every, but most sons grew up idolising their dad and wanting to, to make the dad proud and, you know, looking up to the dad and, you know, it just seemed that when I was growing up, I my hero was a lot of other people's hero as well. Um, so I guess I had to share him with a lot of people uh, growing up. But it was um, no, he's been you know he's he's everything you could ever wish for in a, in in a dad. And and then you know, in in as you get older, he you know he remains your dad, but he becomes more of a friend, and, and that relationship grows. So. Um, you know, it's it's 70, 70, 70 years of age, eh? 70 years of age. And he's still got more hair than me. It's not right, is it? It's not right. I mean, at least he could give me implants or something like that. You know, what have I taken from my dad? So I think my dad and I, obviously, it's pretty obvious that I was probably inspired by my dad to to go down that road as a player and as a, as a coach. Um, you know, it, he was, you know, a world-class player. And then I was actually looking at the stats the other day as well. And he's the he's got the second highest win percentage of any Liverpool manager ever, which is, 
you know, sometimes under, you know, underappreciated, I would say. You know, people always talk about my dad more as a, as a player um, than they do as a manager. But if you look at his managerial record, you know, everywhere he's been, with the exception of Newcastle, even if he's just been a, an interim manager, he's won a trophy. Um, and, you know, the, the league titles, that, that team in the 80s was, was, was incredible. That was kind of the team I, I kind of inspired me in the type of football that we played. Um, but as a... As a player, we were we were different. I mean, I, I would have I was more of a runner as a player, and my dad was more of a passer. I mean, I, I was more I was more kind of, I, I would have played well with my dad because my my problem kind of in football was when I wasn't at the top level anymore. The type of football became more direct, and it never really suited me. I, I was more of a, someone who could play on the shoulder, running behind. You know, trust your teammates to bring you the ball and then use my movement to get behind. So when I became a target striker or playing next to a target striker and trying to read second balls, it never suited me. Whereas, you know, so we'd have actually played well together. We have played well together in testimonial games and exhibition games, which was awesome. Um, but I guess I remember my dad more as a, as a manager. Um, and, you know, when I was old to remember going to games when he was involved in most of the time it, it was a manager. So even when I was a player, I'd, I'd always wanted to be a manager, but we are completely different uh, when it comes to that as well. Whereas my dad is more of a manager, if you like, where he would employ a coach and then he would, he would man manage and, and make the decisions in game, make the decisions about team selection, etc. Whereas I'm, I'm more a coach. I like to be on the grass running the session, uh, probably, you know, academic when it comes to studying football as well. Um, whereas he is, is is totally different and hates all the 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 new coaching terminology and the the, the bullshit, if you like, that is around football now. So he uh so it's it, we couldn't be we couldn't be much different. But uh the one thing that my dad is 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 you know the one thing that I can take away from him is even if he's not he doesn't always know how to explain it better if you can actually take the information from him um, and, and actually understand it with his accent. It's, uh, it's an, it's a, an, he's a genius when it comes to football. The, the, the way he thinks about the games on a different level. Um, so I, I love a lot of his ideas, but I, I think I've spent a lot more time learning how to put those ideas into a training session and run a session and how to teach players those ideas. Um, and, and that's where maybe we're, we're a little bit different, but the ideas, I take, I take a lot from them. Now, I don't know about you, but I'd pay good money to see that footage of Paul and Kenny in tandem during those testimonial and exhibition games. A sort of Dalglish squared, if you like. Lovely. Quite something too when a man is successful in football as Paul will candidly and reverentially refer to his dad's genius. But then that is the exact moniker I've always had in my head for Kenny. When George Best calls you the most complete player he's seen, well, that's praise indeed. I've never seen a better footballer in the Liverpool Red, and as we've established, I go back a few years. Whether it was curling in outrageous finishes from the byline, standing, arms aloft and beaming in that oversized match coat, murderously eyeballing some silly hack who'd asked a daft question, 
or smiling that smile in his own home after his spiritual heir Jurgen Klopp had in 2020 finally guided Liverpool back to the title he'd last won in 1990. Kenny has been, and will always be, the king. Happy 70th Sir Kenny from all of us here at Anfield Index Pro and thank you for all you've done and continue to do. Podcast Network.